Good morning, Hillcrest. How are you guys? Good. Got something. Impromptu wedding this morning. Who wants to get married? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. So uh, I got glasses this last week, and since I'm preaching today, I need to read something, and these are bifocals, so isn't aging fun? <laughs> you get to discover new things about your body and your mind, and you're like, whoa, Lord, I didn't know. I couldn't see. Thank, thank God for optometrists. <laughs> um, I'm so glad to be with you today, whether you're online or here in the sanctuary, um, and I just want to tell you, buckle up this morning morning. We are in the book of Judges, and you know, it's, it's got a lot of stuff in it. It's got some hard stuff. So you know what? We, we are here to worship and to grieve and to celebrate, so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, when I was in high school back in the 90s, I had an English class uh, with a boy named Ryan. I sat next to Ryan. Ryan was in a band. It was the grunge era. And, uh, you know, he would invite me to concerts and we would flirt occasionally. But, you know, he was a nice, quiet guy. He was no Dave Fick, I will tell you that. <laughs> but, you know, we graduated and I didn't really think much of him until about five or six years later. And I was hanging out with my friend Gina, who also went to high school with him, and we were watching the news because a serial rapist had been on the loose in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And as a young woman, it was terrifying. We didn't want to go out at night. We didn't want to walk around her neighborhood. It was happening in her part of town. And as we were watching the news, on the TV, not on our phones, because again, it was the 90s, we saw Ryan's face on the screen because they had caught the serial rapist. And Ryan, the boy who sat next to me in English class, was that serial rapist. No one grows up and thinks, I want to be a serial rapist. I'd like to start a genocide. I'd like to ruin the lives of hundreds of thousands of employees because I embezzled money from my company. No one grows up and has aspirations for those things at all. So how does a person find themselves in a place like this? What happened in Ryan's life that went from the boy who was in a band to getting convicted of multiple rapes? This is what I've wondered about as I've read the book of Judges. You know, as Nate mentioned last week, the book of Judges is a difficult, gory, heartbreaking book of scripture. It's the opposite of a summer beach read. I don't think Reese or Oprah are gonna slap their sticker on the book of Judges and say, pick one up in the airport today. We're not gonna be putting inspirational verses from the book of Judges on t-shirts or mugs at the end of the series. So why do we spend time in this book of scripture? Isn't scripture all about love and forgiveness? How do we reconcile the Jesus who came to bring peace in the New Testament with the seemingly angry God in the Old Testament? Well, Hellcrest, I'm so glad you asked these questions today. <laughs> Judges fits into scripture because it tells us about the character of God and the character of people. And it gives us this startlingly horrific picture of the results of sin and our desperate need for a savior. 
We can't fully grasp the good news of the gospel if we don't understand the bad news of our sin and our rejection of God's love and his good ways. In Judges, we see the Israelites turn away from God and begin this awful cycle. They get stuck. They get stuck time and time again in this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace, and then it just begins again, stuck, getting worse, worse and worse every time. Judges 2 says this, and if you've got your Bible app or an actual physical Bible, you can open up to Judges 2. It says, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each of their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. After Joshua, their leader, had died, and remember, they'd been in the wilderness, they'd been waiting to take the promised land, Joshua dies, and then a whole generation grows up without knowing the miracles God's performed on behalf of the Israelites. They forget the parting of the Red Sea. They forget the walls of Jericho falling. They forget the deliverance from Egypt. And they forget the love God has demonstrated to them, and they reject the covenant he's made with them. God's delivered the Israelites from the desert into Canaan, this promised land, and told them to drive out the Canaanites and to not worship their God, Baal. I've often wondered, why was it so important to drive the Canaanites out? Was this ethnic cleansing? Where's the tolerance here? What was so bad about Baal? Couldn't they, you know, like coexist? Why did this generation not know about the Lord's miracles? Talk about parent guilt. Really screwed up on that one, not telling the kids about the Red Sea. <laughs> Judges shows us that when we forget what the Lord has done, we falter. So many times in Scripture, the command is remember, remember, remember what the Lord has done, because when we forget, we falter. Have you ever experienced peer pressure or societal pressure. I'm not talking about, you know, taking a sip of beer, you know, at a high school party. I'm talking about that, like, soul-crushing pressure to do what everybody else around you is doing. My family moved here about eight years ago uh, to Johnson County from Ohio, and even though it was another part of the Midwest, you know, this was really different. For one, it was fairly homogenous. Where we lived, we were in the ethnic minority. We had to make an extra effort to spend time with people who are ethnically and socioeconomically different than us. But I'll tell you the most striking thing. 
I have never experienced the pressure to keep up with the Joneses like I have here in Johnson County. Can I just get an amen on that? Oh yeah, it's a thing guys. Maybe you grow up here and you're, you, you, know, you don't really realize it. And it's, it's hard for a fish to describe the water they swim in, but when you get a taste of something else, you're like, oh, whoa, that was weird. We started to feel this pressure to have a perfectly renovated house and a certain type of job and to take exciting vacations. We felt like we needed to have kids that were scheduled in exciting activities they excelled in and they listened to us perfectly. Mm. <laughs> felt the pressure to wear a certain type of clothing and to maintain a certain weight. I felt pressure to never need to ask for help, but to always be willing and available if somebody else need help. There is a Joko vibe for sure. And even if you don't live here, even if you live in another place, I just wanna tell you, there is a vibe everywhere because sin doesn't just affect us personally, it affects our workplaces and societies and cultures. There are idols everywhere. Now, I just want to say to you this morning, does it, am I saying the suburbs are bad? Are the suburbs inherently bad? No, not at all. It's the opposite problem. The suburbs are good. They're too good, actually. It's this allure of what defines a good life apart from God that becomes this insidious idol for each of us. There's nothing wrong found in the good things in the suburbs or the city or rural areas, but it's when we settle for fake love or fake security, fake power, fake identity, that we get stuck in this spiral that eventually enslaves us. The Israelites started to experience peer pressure in Canaan. You'll see a picture of the, the balls and the Ashtoreths, really exciting gods everyone would want to worship. They've been shepherds in the desert for 40 years, and now they're in an agrarian society surrounded by farmers. This is a culture shift for real. These farmers worshiped balls and Ashtoreths because they were fertility gods who would send rain and sun for their crops to grow. They also believed that these gods would bless them if they performed sex acts as worship. So to worship Baal and Ashtoreth would mean to go to the temple and engage in ritual sex acts and orgies on a regular basis. Or to sacrifice children, to sacrifice your own children before these gods. They're looking around and they've forgotten the Lord in this new place and they're wondering, you know what, maybe... Maybe it's okay if we try some of this stuff. You know, we've, we've shepherded sheep. We're not really sure if the God of our ancestors is going to come through. I mean, he provided for us in the desert, but I don't know if this God can grow crops or send rain. You know, this is how we're supposed to make our livelihood now. To worship Baal and Ashtoreth was to directly break the Lord's covenant for the Israelites. They forget the Lord's covenant, and they falter in their faithfulness. And this 
This is what provoked the Lord to anger. Judges 2 says, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors who'd been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of their hands and relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed them and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to the ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused, refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the ways of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain, and he did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. It's this pattern, this stuck pattern of sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance, peace. Let's do it all over again. Violating the covenant with the Lord was a big deal. It was the rejection of everything good he offered to the Israelites and the loving relationship he desired with them. You know, you might not be a Jesus follower today, and I just want to be clear to you that God isn't angry waiting to pour down wrath on you. This is a story of God's people who had chosen, they had made the choice to follow him, and then they reject his love. But this is also a story of the ways life apart from God can enslave us, which is something, regardless of what you believe, can be true for us. What are the covenants God made? In Exodus 19, he says to Moses, you've seen what I've done to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words, Moses, that you should speak to the Israelites. How many of you guys have heard of the Ten Commandments before? Anybody? Okay. Can you name a couple of them? What are some of the Ten Commandments? Don't kill, honor your mother and father. What else? Don't covet. Don't worship other gods. Okay, we got don't worship other gods. What else? Don't bear false. Man, you guys are good. You must read your Bible. <laughs> Don't steal. We, we usually have like murder, steal, adultery on our top list. But the, the Israelites like blow through the first two. The first two are don't have any other gods before me. 
and don't make idols. The Canaanite word for Baal was the word Lord. Lord, who you serve, who you worship. The Israelites were trying to worship the Lord God and these false lords. Their hearts and their worship was divided. And this, this is what angered God. You know, typically when we think of the word covenant, the only modern equivalent is to make a marriage covenant. How many of you guys have been to a wedding this summer or recently? Yeah? Okay. How many of you have seen a movie about a wedding, even if you've never been to a wedding? This marriage covenant, it's to make a sacred promise before God and with other people of what you and your spouse are committing to. You promise to do certain things, and you promise not to do certain things. And we say special words to express these promises. Our friends, Dave and I, sat with us on June 22nd, 2001, to witness this covenant and to celebrate with us and to cheer us on. Aren't we cute? So naive. <laughs> they sat with us and they cheered for us, saying, yes, we affirm this covenant. And we said those special words. We said, to have and to hold, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, treasured possession, cherish till death do us part. This covenant I made with Dave says what I will do and what I won't do. Our words mean we laugh together in the better times and we suffer together when we endure unthinkable pain. I know many of you have suffered because of infidelity or abuse. The person who's supposed to cherish you turns their back on you, they intentionally hurt you, or they just ignore you. Broken marriages affect all of us. One of my family members went through a divorce after almost 20 years of marriage, and it was gut-wrenching to see the pain of the consequences that ended their marriage. We were brokenhearted. We had to explain to our four-year-old son what it meant to get a divorce. Even if it isn't your marriage, the brokenness from sin affects everyone. It affects our families. It affects our communities. It affects our economic system. People often have to declare bankruptcy when they get divorced. I know this is a painful topic. And really, the whole book of Judges is a painful topic because it holds this mirror up to us and it asks, will we do the same thing as the Israelites? Will we forget and falter? Will we settle for fake goodness and false gods that can't satisfy us and don't love us? They only demand more and more and more of us. You know, we might not have balls or Asherah poles, but we also worship other gods besides the one true God. And these false gods or idols woo our hearts, they woo our minds, they woo our money and time away from the true God. And we begin to forget his faithfulness to us. We start to think 
maybe if I just, you ever thought that? Maybe if I just, you know, a lot of times money can become one of those idols. What we worship from God, apart from God, enslaves us. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, you might think about, how do I get more of it? How do I protect it? How do I invest it? I'm envious of what other people have. It starts to occupy our minds and our hearts. And we become consumed with getting more, we're hoarding it. We begin to believe, if I just had Sometimes we value our ideas more than we do being in right relationship with God and with other people. And I want to ask, does our insistence on believing in a certain political party or way of thinking consume us? Does it begin to draw our hearts and our minds into believing that apart from God, if we just vote a certain way, if we just think a certain way, if we just believe a certain way, maybe it's that we're so afraid of people not liking us that we're not willing to speak up when we see someone doing something to demean people made in the image of God. And we begin to believe, if I could just convince them, if they would just think. We bow to money. We bow to our ideas. We bow to relationships. We choose not to forgive people who've hurt us. We begin to believe I can just be a good parent if I overschedule my kids and pay a ton of money for them to be fulfilled in these activities. We begin to look a little bit too forward to those texts from that person who we're not married to. Or we linger a little bit too long at a meeting and enjoy the flirtatious conversations because they're, you know, they're harmless. We're not actually doing anything. You might be fuming about what should have happened in a relationship, and it occupies your mind, and that person in that situation just lives rent-free in your brain, and you're filled with anxiety and anger no matter what you do. We begin to believe, I could just feel good about myself. I could just feel loved or accepted if I just... When we forget... We falter. Judges is a book that reminds us of the severe consequences of sin in our life and in our culture. We might wear the wedding dress and profess our love of God alone, 
But when we follow other lords, they lead our lives into choices where we're damaged and divided. We go down this path that eventually enslaves us and it wreaks havoc in our minds, in our hearts, in our communities. God is angry with the Israelites' choices because he loves them as a treasured possession. And they've desecrated this love. Can you imagine if I walked down the aisle in this dress to marry Dave Fick? This isn't even my wedding dress, but this feels so wrong to do this, right? Feels so wrong because we realize on a wedding day the sacred promises that are made. We, we recognize what everything represents in a wedding dress. And I, as I was reading Judges, I was trying to think, like, what would make us understand the gravity of what's going on here in Judges? All the promises that were broken and rejected and the pain that happened. God's angry, but because he loves the Israelites as a treasured possession, he's filled with sorrow that they've broken their covenant with him. And he continues to deliver them out of his love for them. In Judges, the Israelites repent and God saves them from the hand of their enemies. And they experience peace for a little while. You know, we, we can kind of, you know, I could, I could scrub this up. I could, I could sew this back on. I could, I could maybe tape this tape off. Experience peace for a little while. But they just kept getting stuck in this cycle again and again. And we can find ourselves stuck too in that same place. I'll just do this one little thing and I swear, God, it will be the last time. I've said that. I'll just choose this in case God doesn't come through. I'll just keep doing this a little bit more because I can't imagine any other way and it just feels too difficult to resist. When we forget, we falter. But the good news of the gospel is when we repent, we're restored. When we repent, we're restored. The judges could only do so much to restore the people to God. In scripture, we see our need for a savior who can deliver us from the oppression of our sin, but also heal our hearts. Galatians 1, 5, 1 says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Christ sets us free. Instead of brokenness and oppression and slavery to sin, he offers us freedom and abundance and peace. And in a few minutes, I'm going to give you time to reflect on the places in your life the Holy Spirit might be inviting you to repent. As we've been sitting here, God might be bringing things to your mind he wants to set you free from. The band's going to come up and just play quietly. And I want to tell you today that you might not be a Jesus follower, but I've begun to realize that you can't get or create for yourself the life that you want, and you're stuck. It leaves you empty, or this thing begins to enslave you. Jesus offers you his love and his forgiveness today. He calls you a treasured possession and wants to have a relationship with you. Repentance looks like confessing these things to God and inviting him to forgive you 
and ask, asking Jesus to heal you and restore you. And while the band plays, I'm going to invite you to actually do something physical. On a wedding, we stand up in front of people, we do things, we light candles, we say words, we do something to demonstrate a sacred commitment. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, and if you want to repent today, to just kneel where, where you are, if you're able to do that. And I realize some of us have physical limitations, so if you can't kneel, just put your hand on your heart. If you're at home, you can do the same thing. We also have prayer servants that are going to come up and pray with you. And I just want to tell you, um, I know these things are hard. These prayer servants are here to walk with you through hard things and rejoice with you through good things. Everything you share is confidential. They're there to just help you go before God. They want Jesus to restore your life. So if you want to repent and be restored today, it doesn't matter how big or small the thing is. I know for me, I can walk around thinking, I'm basically an okay person. I'm not murdering anyone, not stealing anything. But boy, do things get lodged in my heart where I just need to say, Lord, I turn from this. I've been putting my trust in places other than you. Things I can control, things that I can try and get for myself. So I don't know what's going on in your heart today, but I want to invite you now just to go ahead and kneel, to say, Lord, I need you to change me. I need you to heal me from the inside out. And I'm inviting all of us to do this because you know what? As, as Jesus followers, we all need to turn and say, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? So you can kneel or you can put your hand on your heart if you want to be restored by Jesus today. You can come and pray with somebody as well. I'm happy to pray with you afterwards. We all forget and we all falter. This is what it means to be human and in need of a savior who can heal us from the inside out. Today we're kneeling to say, God, I need you. I need you more than the things I can control for myself. I don't wanna be trapped in the cycle anymore. I don't wanna be enslaved. I want to be free. I want to be healed. I want to be restored. I want to live as that treasured possession that you say that I am. Maybe if it's the first time you've ever prayed a prayer to invite Jesus to heal you from the inside out, I'm going to invite you just to say those words with me silently, whether you're at home or here. And just bring those things before God in your heart. God, I've let other things creep into my heart. Would you forgive me for believing these idols? Would you forgive me believing that they can make me good or save me? God, would you heal my heart and restore me from my sin? Give me strength through your Holy Spirit to believe that you can lead me in love and power every day. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come up. 
Um, today, you might be feeling like, you know what, God's doing something in my heart and I just need some more time to pray with somebody. We walk around and we carry things with us and we aren't meant to bear burdens alone. So our prayer team is here that if you just want to pray with someone, ask for freedom from the things that enslave you, ask to rejoice with someone. Everything you share is confidential. They're just here to help you on your way to glory to be with, to be with Jesus. You know, when we repent, we don't just turn away from something, we turn toward something. We turn toward the goodness of God. We turn towards his faithfulness, towards his love, towards his freedom. And so as you go out today, I just want to invite you to thank God that he heals us, that he forgives us, that he restores us and renews us to live as new creations, as his treasured possession. Go with God today. Spend some time here getting prayer if you need. Amen.